Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you on what is certainly a very chilly morning out there, out de-icing the car this morning. And this really feels like we are into uh, winter. But it's a good, some nice sunny spells today. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to enjoy some dry parts of the day. You can always email the programme at any time, whether we're on air or off air, to Patricia at c103.ie. And let me start with... Uh, an email to the programme from a listener looking for advice from other parents and and even parents who don't have children in primary school at the moment perhaps you know at some stage when your children were in primary school you might have come up against this particular issue and it's from someone we're just calling Pamela who says I'm hoping parents or maybe even teachers that listen to your podcast or your repeat show may be able to offer advice on this is it a feasible option for me to tell my child's teacher that we're opting out of homework. The stress it is causing in our household simply isn't worth it. My own son has put it perfectly himself by saying, I'm learning all day. I just want to play and relax my brain once I come home from school. Will we as a family be able to do this? Contact the school, contact the teacher, I'm assuming is what you're going to have to do as well, to say, look, Johnny's not going to be doing homework anymore. We feel what he does in the classroom is is enough. So we're opting out of homework. So I suppose what we're asking this morning and, and Pamela is looking for the advice. Have you ever heard of anyone who opted out of homework and what was the reaction of the uh, teacher? And and what is homework like in your household? Is it causing stress? Is it, And I'm wondering, we were chatting about this in, in the office this morning before I came on. And is it individual teachers? Are, are some teachers known for giving a lot of homework? And then are other teachers much better about it? And I mean, I have, for example, heard of teachers who put a limit and say when the child goes home from school, this is the homework they must do put a timer on it. If after an hour the homework isn't done, then that's enough. Put the books away. And, you know, you can explain that in a note then that Johnny or Mary sat down to do the homework, were struggling with it, so we stopped after an hour. Uh, but our other our other families just finding it very, very stressful. Are some children better about coming home, 
taking the books out of the school bag, sitting down at the kitchen table, applying themselves, getting straight in, getting all the homework done, books away and that's it, end off. And then they can play and relax for the rest of the day. But are, for other children, do they stretch it out? Which, but I suppose you'd also have to think no two, no two children are the same. You'll have children, I suppose, that struggle at a subject. And if you're struggling at a subject in school, you're definitely going to struggle at the subject at home. And that particular part of homework might take longer. Then, of course, as the children go through primary school, obviously it isn't an issue in secondary school, but as they're going through primary school, getting into like fourth, fifth, sixth class, particularly things like maths can be a huge bugbear in some households because they seem to teach maths a little bit different to certainly the way I learned maths. So I don't know if I could actually help a sixth class pupil with maths today. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably be able to figure it out. We're trying to explain it to somebody if they're actually struggling to get their homework done. So anyway, your thoughts welcomed on that. As I say, parents who have children in primary school at the moment, but also for parents who have children who've gone through the primary section. Did you come up against problems with it causing stress in your household, the actual doing of homework in the evening. And have you ever heard of anyone who's just taken it upon themselves that their family are opting out of homework? Your thoughts welcomed. John Paul's taking calls 0818 103 103. You can text your WhatsApp to 086 103 103. And just staying on the subject of uh, schools, betting shops and other gambling outlets will effectively be banned from operating anywhere near schools. And this is all to do with the sweeping new changes that are coming into it with these new gambling laws. It's the Gambling Regulator Bill. And it's going to include a provision that the new industry watchdog, that's going to be the Gambling Regulatory Authority of Ireland, they must consider the proximity of any betting shop or any other gambling outlet. They must take a look and see how close is it to a primary or to a secondary school. And I'm assuming probably more affecting secondary schools than primary schools. The junior minister, uh, uh, James Brown, he's the junior justice minister, had he's earlier this week of course he outlined the plans and that he said well competition laws and I didn't realise this but competition laws actually prevents the government imposing an outright ban but he said he expects that it's now going to be very very difficult for betting shops or other similar outlets to obtain a gambling licence if they want to open up anywhere near a school. Now the bill has already uh, proposed several measures to prevent children from gambling are indeed exposing them to the industry and that's going to include a prohibition on gambling ads uh, when the laws come in you will not be able to hear on radio or see on TV gambling ads anytime from 5.30am in the morning right through until 9 in the evening time and actually when I started reading up about this during the week you know you suddenly your attention is drawn to it and I suddenly realised we do have a lot of gambling ads on TV particularly daytime TV seems to have a lot of different gambling ads and then every time I seemed to have put on opened up any kind of social media account it seemed to be all gambling ads I was on YouTube last night and you know if you're watching some YouTube videos there'll be ads in the middle of it and every single ad was a gambling ad and I just don't know whether I'm aware of it because I've been reading up about this, these new gambling laws or not but they do seem to be everywhere so there's also going to be an outright ban on children being in any premises where gambling takes uh, place and I would have thought that that should have already been in place but it's not there'll also be restrictions on gambling advertising 
advertising at events that involve uh, children. Um, also, underage sports teams will not be allowed to have sponsorship on their little jerseys from any kind of gambling companies. And that goes right up to all underage teams. There will be strict penalties under the new laws, which include eight years in prison for those who fall foul of the law. And this new gambling regulatory authority, the new regulator, will also be able to get an internet service provider to take down any unlicensed our advertising online. The new regulator uh, will also have to consult with all of the local councils in an area and where it decides to grant a licence, this judgment must not supersede the role of the local authority in respect of the planning permission. Now, how many betting shops do we have at the moment in this country? We have 778 betting shops in uh, Ireland. Now, actually, that's down. Five years ago, that number was 860. Ministers were told of varying estimates as to how much the industry is worth. It's anything between six billion and ten billion euro a year, every single year, and that's just here in Ireland. The cabinet has been told this week real concerns have been raised both about the proliferation of advertising of gambling products and the inadequate safeguards to protect individuals from the harms of problem problem gambling. It's also proposed under the new legislation that inducements which entice adults to gamble are going to be banned. There are now Again, I don't gamble uh, or bet a lot, so I wasn't aware of this. But there's lots of things like for people who gamble a lot and the company that they place their bets with will be very aware of the amount of money that this individual is uh, spending. So they'll do things like offer them free hospitality. You know, if they're coming to the, come to the races, we'll give you free hospitality. They'll give them VIP treatment. They'll offer them free bets. They'll offer them special offers. All of that will be banned. There will also be a ban on using credit cards to gamble. Now, that's not before time or using any type of credit facilities uh, to gamble. You can still use a debit card, but you won't be able to use a credit card. And we have heard when we've spoken with problem gamblers over the years, they'll talk about maxing out five, six, seven credit cards and end up in huge amount of debt from problem gambling. So they will at least... Uh, whatever they have in their bank can be spent on a debit card but at least they won't be running up these massive bills on uh, credit cards any advertisement that promotes excessive or compulsive gambling that's all going to be banned there'll also be a ban on having cash machines in bookies and I could not believe this and I'm, I'm again I'm unaware the fact that they have had to put a ban in place do I take it that there are already ATM machines in betting offices again I'm not in enough bookies uh, to know uh, but that won't be extended by the way to racetracks because obviously the argument there is that race courses provide other services you know if you go for a day at the races you can have some drinks you can have some food so people will have to have access uh, to a cash there's also going to be a levy now the levy is yet to be determined and that will be set by the regulator and this levy is going to be imposed on the industry to fund a social impact fund it'll be used to finance initiatives to reduce problem gambling and also support uh, awareness raising and educational uh, members now 
with that levy that will be introduced onto the industry no doubt will be passed on to the punters but at least the money will be used to try to finance initi- initiatives to help people and to reduce problem gambling because again problem gambling, gambling is one of those of all of the addictions I think perhaps it is the most hidden of all of the addictions because when somebody is an alcoholic they can become blind drunk and fall down or there'll be a smell of alcohol um, from them if somebody gets addicted to drugs again people will see the the evidence that somebody is high or has, has taken drugs but when somebody is gambling there's no outward sign that this person has any kind of an, an addiction and of course since the wonderful internet has arrived and suddenly gambling outlets realised they could make money on the internet people now can gamble at any hour of the day at any hour of the night they can do it from the privacy of their own bedroom they never have to leave their house and they can simply do it on their phone whereas there was a time for problem gamblers where they had to wait for the betting shop to uh, open and if the betting shop was closed, they weren't able to gamble. Now, of course, that's gone and they can b- gamble 24-7 and can literally lose everything. And families, families have been decimated because of only finding out too late that they have a problem gambler in the house. 0818-103-103. Our phone lines have been quite busy this morning. So, and John Paul's doing really well answering as many calls as he can. So please don't get frustrated with us if the phone lines ring out. But you can always text or WhatsApp us with your comments to 86 to 103 103 or you can email patricia at c103.ie a lot of commentary coming in on homework and uh, the mother who wants to contact the school to say they're going to opt out of homework somebody says simply says by text teachers need to make homework fun and then children wouldn't object to uh, doing it now i'm uh, teachers are all at their at their desks and in school so they can't answer that but i wonder how could teachers make homework fun but i will get back to the homework comments but i want to stay on the gambling topic for a moment because Dan in Formoy has contacted us. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you, you back a few horses than you have done over the years. Yeah, I had my first bet, I'd say, when back about 1972 or 73, probably five-tenths at the time. And what age would you have been? Oh, I was in St. Colman's College. Oh, you were in you were in secondary school? I was, yeah. I okay. Down, uh, yeah. And it, so, it was uh, never, but it was never, a, it was, has it ever been a problem for you over the years? No, it's never been a problem in the sense of um, becoming addicted to it. But definitely, I think most people who would have had bets on horses over the year, once in a while, you'd come out stinging and you'd be saying, Geez, how, how am I going to pay for petrol or how am I going to, that kind of thing. But, but I think in, in life, we get near misses in all aspects of our life, so these things kind of correct us. I've been fortunate enough, yeah, I never had a, an issue with, with gambling, you know, as, as an addiction or, or having a serious impact. Over the years, I'd have won as much money as I, as I lost. So okay, well I, done, well done. But do, do, you, uh, do you agree that this gambling regulation bill is needed, that there are people hugely addicted and losing vast sums of money and families are being destroyed because of it? Uh, well, there are, I suppose there are two aspects to your question. <clears throat> Certainly, I agree that, that there are families being destroyed. <clears throat> their gambling is the addiction which is the easiest, fastest way to destroy your family or your life, to lose your home. <clears throat> it can be done literally in the space of a few minutes by by putting a, a big enough base that effectively destroys your mortgage 
So yes, it's a huge problem. Absolutely, I'm I'm aware of some of the damage that it's doing. I did uh, when the national lottery was introduced. I think in the 80s or 90s. The 80s, I was in yeah, Green. the 80s. Yeah, I I was working uh, in the horse racing industry. And I was intrigued as to how the National Lottery was going to approach uh, getting people to, as they say now, to play the lottery. And I I did a lot of research as much as I could pre-internet times into how the National Lottery was approaching the, the task. And I was fascinated to note that there was a very, let's call it, cutting-edge psychology being used by the National Lottery that wasn't being used at the time by the horse racing industry. And that's, uh, let's call it, cutting-edge psychology really understood what motivated people to gamble. And in the intervening nearly 40 years, National Lottery has continued to be superb at the use of, of psychological data and information to persuade, to lure people into playing the the lottery. And it is, let's call it out, it is gambling. Playing the lotto is gambling. It's complete gambling. And that that was, they used that phrase, that word, they started using it very early on, the the word play. And it has been successfully uh, misused ever since by the government and by communities and by everybody who supports the lottery, right? Now, there's an extreme um, two-facedness about what's happening with gambling in the country and supposed regulation and that, because on the one hand, the government through a whole range of reasons, is recognising that gambling is a big issue, right? And they're restricting, you know, the use of credit cards and doing various things that I would support fully. On the other hand, they are making enormous profits by promoting the very thing that, at a surface level, they say we have to cut down on, which is gambling. Now, this is not a very popular point of view because... There's hardly a community in the country that hasn't benefited big time from lottery money. National, lot- yeah. national lottery money granted. Yeah. And there's hardly uh, a community group or a parish in the country that in the back of their head doesn't have a thought, well, maybe in five years' time we can apply for a grant ourselves. So we have a we have a major problem there. On the one hand, Everybody would say, yes, gambling is a problem. It's, it's destroying families. And on the other hand, or we, we won't mention at all that gambling is the nature of the National Lottery. And we hope as a community, as a parish, as a club, we hope to get some of the largest from the state through their gathering of gambling tax. Yeah, and, and while a percentage of the money goes back into into communities, and, and, and listen, everybody accepts you're right, it, it, it does great work. The company that run the National Lottery make massive profits on the back do, of us buying uh, scratch cards and entering the weekly lotto draw. See, we, we have a situation where, like, I, I live out in a little rural place called Bartlemy in East North East Cork, and... Now I was I was born in 1958, but in around nine, around that time, the people of Bartley Parish felt there was would be great value in having a parish hall. Yeah. Subsequently, became known as a kind of community centre. Now, 
So when I was two or three, I, I had nothing to do with, with this. But the people of Bathmere Parish got together and they said, OK, we need, we want the parish hall. So they, the men and the women of the parish got together and built the hall in the early 60s. I'm not putting that forward as a romantic ideal as to what can be done now with insurance and health and safety and all that kind of thing. But they they tapped into their own resources at a level that their own resources... Yeah, yeah. And, this, and, and, and people are still doing that today. I mean, it's great lo- local communities out there. OK, but so uh, but are you saying, um, Dan, that you feel with this gambling regulation bill, the lottery isn't mentioned and it should be mentioned? And are you saying that the advertising around the lottery needs to be looked at? Uh, the, adver- the advertising needs to be looked at, but it's not so much the advertising. It is uh, the conception that we have in this country that gambling is dangerous, needs to be very tightly regulated. It's destroying families, which it is. And then, on the other hand, oh, uh, let's promote the National Lottery as strongly as we can. Yeah, and, and, the, the and can... I have to say, the one thing about promoting it that I always, always irks me with the organisers of the National Lottery. Um, every single year, there are unclaimed prizes, prizes and uh, an unclaimed prize, if it isn't claimed after 90 days, your ticket then is no longer valid. But what always annoys me is that all the money that's left from unclaimed prizes every year goes back into the fund to promote the National Lottery. And they they say the reason for that, that then it increases the funds raised for good causes. My uh, argument on that would be if there's unclaimed prizes, it should go straight to the good causes. It shouldn't go back to the National Lottery so they can take out more ads to encourage you and I and everybody else to play the lottery. I, I agree. I would say that uh, basically we have to come down to personal choice. I choose once in a while to, to go play. into a betting office and put a fiver on a horse and that kind of thing. That's yeah. grand. I'm entitled to do that. You're entitled to buy a lottery ticket. However, what I would say is this, that I as a, as a man or you as a woman or a listener listening in, right? the, the challenge is this, that if I want the National Lottery to make more funds available to for good causes. I cannot then say that the National Lottery gets the money through gambling. In other words, I have to tell myself a lie. And that's where there's a major problem. Okay. It, is, it okay. is a lie to say that the National Lottery does anything other than promoting gambling and then gives out some of the money to the communities. And I've, ju- I've just gone on to lottery.ie and uh, they are at pains to point out you have to be over 18 to play. They also say play responsibly and yeah. play for fun is what they say. All right, Dan, i got to leave it there. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, uh, good food for thought. 0818 103 103. Does the lottery also have to be looked at when we're talking about the gambling regulation bill and particularly when we're talking about the advertising and the way uh, betting shops and other gambling outlets will not be able to run any kind of ads on radio or TV between 5.30am and 9pm. 0818 103 103. John Paul takes your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG now, on yesterday's Echo newspaper, Cork Business Association President Kevin Hurley spoke about how he's been forced to rent properties and even purchase a house in order to provide homes for some of his staff. 
once again highlighting Cork's accommodation crisis. Kevin Hurley takes time out to talk to me this morning. Uh, good morning to you, Kevin. Hi, Patricia. Good morning. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Have you ever had to provide accommodation for staff before? No, Patricia, I haven't. Um, I'm working in this industry 22 years and we have never had to do anything like this. Um, it all really started about just over a year ago um, when we were finding it really impossible to get staff for our stores in the Cork City. And that's when we went down this route. Because you had to go overseas to get workers. Yes. So when, when lockdown ended, we found that there was an awful lot of people had left the service industry and gone into other industries, be it pharmaceutical, etc. And um, we just found it exceptionally hard to get people, number one. And then when we were getting people, they were having an awful lot of problems trying to get affordable accommodation in Cork. So that's why we decided to uh, to rent one house last, uh, it would have been the, the summer of 2021. And it just kind of snowballed from there then. How many people are you currently pr providing accommodation for? Uh, so we have 300 people employed across our company in Cork City and County. We have three stores in North Cork, which is obviously very much in, in the uh, C103 region. Um, but all the staff that are, we are accommodating are working in our city stores and we're accommodating 30 people. 30? So 10% yes. of your workforce? Correct. Yeah, 10% of our workforce. Yeah. And do you believe you're not the only employer doing this? There's a lot of, I, I, I think there's a few retailers around the city that are doing it, but it's really traditionally been a kind of a hotel, a hospitality thing whereby, you know, there was staff houses and staff accommodation provided um, kind of traditionally by, by the hotel industry. But they've moved up a notch even further from what I hear, like up to 10% of their uh, bedrooms now are being used to, uh, to accommodate staff as well. So it's not just in retail, it's in hospitality, it's across the board. Do you worry for the future of the city with development? And there's great development underway uh, at the moment and jobs then will become available because of that, uh, that uh, development. But if the workers will struggle to find a place to live, what's going to happen to that development? It is very worrying, Patricia. It's a bit like putting the cart before the horse. Um, there's huge uh, development happening down the Docklands as regards jobs being announced every week. The Queensland Castle last week announced that the development is going ahead there where there'll be between 800 and 900 jobs um, created there. And I suppose in the Cork Business Association, what we're asking the question is, where are these people going to live? Um, you know, they don't want to have to be commuting into Cork City Centre from Mallow or Macroom or Ballancolic or Carrigaline. They want to live within 15 minutes walk or cycle um, of their workplace because that's the government strategy going forward. Um, and unfortunately, the houses and the apartments in the city quadrant just not, are not being built at the same pace that the jobs are being created. What do you believe are possible solutions? Well, I know that there is talk of certain um, government supports and grants being given to developers to get them going, moving apart, uh, to build apartments, because the developers have come back and they've said, you know, it's just not viable for us to build apartments at the moment. So, you know, if there is supports for those um, developers, then let's get it to them as soon as possible. The other aspect then is obviously the social and affordable housing. Those people are, are obviously going to be looking for jobs as well. So the more of those that are built, the better. Um, I We have a store in, in Bishopstown, 
um, and I just passed the development there, fantastic development at the bottom of Hawks Road, which is probably, I'd say, only a couple of months away from finished, and there's a huge amount of bed space that's been created inside there. So, you know, all, more of those developments um, being created within the hinterland of the city would be great. Mm. Are you still struggling to get workers? Or is that I eased off? Indeed. Are you? I am. Yeah. I am, yeah. It's still, it's even at that, it's a struggle. So at the moment, we're looking to try and rent another house um, and I just can't get a house. Um, I've been on to every letting agency in the city. I'm registered with all of them. I just literally can't get a house. We have a store in Fromoy and we have people lined up to come and work in that store in Fromoy. And again, we just can't get accommodation for them up there. So it is, it's just a consistent struggle. But look, Nothing is easy in this life, and I'm, yeah, I, I'm but, always somebody that accentuates the positive. Yeah, well done, well done. Write the story. And and no, when you go overseas, people want to come to this country to live and work. They do. I think it's a bit like um, the Irish people that that go abroad for the couple of years to go to Australia. I myself spent um, two years living in France. I lived in Paris and I lived in Nice. That was my kind of thing. But I had a lot of friends that went to Australia, and it's kind of the same thing in reverse here. Like we've a lot of Croatians, um, we've we've Bulgarians, we've Spanish, we have Greek, um, we've we've a huge cohort from right throughout the European Community, but further beyond as well, a lot of Indians and and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis and you know people that are, some of them are here for for good, and a lot of them are here just to experience the the culture of Ireland, or as I said to somebody else the other day. The, the rain culture of Ireland, although, <laughs> thank God, it's not raining today. <laughs> well, especially when you hear people coming from Spain, you're thinking, oh, would you leave the wonderful... Even though, on the flip side of that, people in Spain say it's too hot and that they prefer to, yeah. be, to, to be living in girl, Ireland. I, w- I have a girl working in our Grand Parade store. She's actually from outside Malaga, and she, that's the exact reason that she's here, because um, she just says it's too hot over there and she likes the, the, nice, the nice climate that we have. So. And obviously, you're coming into your busiest period. We are. We are. Yeah, we're just I just came out of a meeting there now this morning. We're just prepping up for um, for the, the month of December. We're doing a big promotion with Cork Simon community there um, on the Friday before Christmas. You know, this um, Christmas jumper day where we have a big um, uh, celebration inside the city on the 16th of uh, December. Um, and uh, we have a local celebrity coming in to to judge the best dressed shop and all of that kind of stuff. And. So with those kind of things going on, there's a lot of Christmas parties going to happen in the city, which we would be accommodating for. Um, it's just a busy time of year mm. with people in shopping. The lights are up. Um, we're all systems go. No, um, no. Even crossed. though we we discussed it yesterday and, and uh, we had a lot of people in the city very upset about it. No official switching on of the lights. They're just going on. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The council made a decision that... Um, there was uh, health and safety issues at the event two years ago and that it was going to cost a quarter of a million euros to organise that event this year. Um, so they decided that they're not going to have it. Um, but the lights are going to go on, which is the main thing. Now, yeah. two months ago with the whole energy crisis, there was a worry that you know Christmas was going to be cancelled nearly. There was, but I'm happy to say that the lights are up. At, they're nearly up all over the city and they will be turned on in the next... Um, in the next week or two, which is great. And they're, so, they're LED know, lights, so they use very little electricity. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they're all LEDs throughout the whole city. They use they use very little. Like even in our own business with the whole energy crisis that's happening, our biggest cost is our refrigeration and our air conditioning or our heating at this time of year, air conditioning in the summer. The lighting actually doesn't like if you have LED lighting, it doesn't actually cause a, a massive amount of consumption, you know. And of course, you can't turn the, the fridges off at night. No, no, absolutely not. We have uh, sour milk in the morning if yeah. you do that. Wish, wish that you could. And just one final one, as you are the president of the Cork Business Association. Were you disappointed to hear that commercial rates are set to rise next year? I was, Patricia. I suppose I was disappointed from our own business perspective first uh, because we were getting hit with inflation, food price increases, energy increases, wage increases. It's just coming out of small angles. So this was another kind of a hit yesterday. Um, I just feel sorry for a lot of the smaller businesses who are members of the Cork Business Association, you know, smaller cafes and restaurants, etc., um, who, you know, are really, really struggling. And uh, this is just another one on them. I felt the 3.8% increase was exceptionally high um, in the CBA. We would, we would have been hoping that it would have been, um, you know, closer to 2%. But and saying that, we're really hoping the government, the central government, will give more money to the city now in relation to promoting it for 2023 as regards marketing and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know there was some good news is in that there isn't going to be an increase in car parking charges and that surely will, will encourage people into the city. It will, absolutely, yeah. yeah. OK, listen, Kevin, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. No problem, Patricia. Talk Thanks. to you soon. Bye-bye. Uh, that is uh, Kevin uh, Hurley of uh, Hurley Centre, but he is also president of the Cork Business Association. 0818-103-103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. I've just seen on a showbiz breaking news, Neighbours. We were all bemoaning the fact that Neighbours had finished up the Australian uh, soap opera, that it was gone. Well, we're just told now it's going to return for a brand new series next year, but it'll be exclusively on the streaming service Amazon Free V. Uh, and what they're also going to do is they'll show thousands of episodes from previous se- seasons and you'll be able to stream it on Amazon. So if you were a fan of Neighbours and you were one of those heartbroken because Neighbours was gone, uh, it'll be back next year on Amazon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about gambling in the last hour and uh, heartbreaking to read a text in from one of our listeners saying currently struggling with a gambling problem. I was in treatment 10 years ago, but unfortunately my addiction is back and it's back worse than ever. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Goodness me, my heart goes out to you. And the fact that, look, you went into treatment, it worked before. Can you get back into treatment? Can you go reach back out to the help that you got in the past? Because there are, I mean, there's Gamblers Anonymous. I, I don't know what part of the city or county you were in, but there are Gamblers Anonymous uh, groups. Just reach out. I mean, the fact that you, you're admitting yourself that your problem is now even worse than it was before you went in uh, to treatment, you know that you need uh, help. Uh, we wish you luck with it and I really do hope that you get the help that you need. 0818103103. Somebody else, just when we were talking about gambling, uh, Joe says, what about drink? Isn't that a drug too? Why are we so worked up? Uh, why are we not more worked up about drink 
we seem to be just worked up about uh, gambling. I think we've been worked up about drink for a long time uh, in this uh, country. I just think with gambling, the reason we're talking about it at the moment is that this new bill uh, is going to be introduced. But I think with gambling, with the addiction of gambling, it's just such a hidden, hidden addiction. And then Mick is kind of worried for his own business. He says, there's a bookies on the street and I opened up a business next to it. Now, my business deals with young people aged from six to 16. So does the business dealing with the children have to close down now that a bet because the betting office was there 10 years before I moved in? No, when I'm talking about there's going to be a, a ban on betting shops opening near schools or anywhere, any, anywhere where there's young uh, children, that's going to be new betting shops and new gambling outlets it won't affect the ones that are currently in place it's it's going forward any new ones when they go for planning uh, they will be turned down if they're in any proximity to a school or anywhere that's dealing with children so uh, Mick your business uh, is going to be all, uh, uh, um, okay 0818103103 then on homework huge huge reaction to the piece on homework and Pamela who contacted us wants to know is it a feasible option to tell her child's teacher as a family, they're opting out of homework. The stress uh, it's causing is just not worth it. And her own son has decided that he's learning all day and he just wants to play and relax his brain at home. And he doesn't want to do any more homework. And she was wondering, looking for the opinion on from parents and also from teachers who might be listening to this on a podcast or on a repeat show, because obviously I'm aware that uh, most of the teachers are at school today, even though we could have some teachers uh, listening to us. But what happens when a parent makes the decision that their child is opting out of homework? Mary in Rathcool says, when children come in from school, first of all, parents need to sit down with them, ask them how their day went. Lots of little things are happening in school. Listen to your children, spend time with your children and then sit down and do the homework. But you need to spend time with your child or children first. And that in the ideal world is exactly how it should be, Mary. But I can straight away hear parents listening at the moment saying that's all well and good. But if you're working all day and if you're trying to get a dinner on and you have all the other jobs that need to be done around the house, it isn't always time. You don't always have the time to sit down and relax first before you get into homework. And then for other children, they prefer to literally come in the door, take off the coat, get straight stuck into the homework and get it over and done with. It varies, I think, from child to child. Mairead said, mine are gone from primary now, but I always liked doing the homework with them. I always liked the idea of sitting down with the children and doing the homework. If they wished to do it within a time frame of 45 minutes, get all the homework done and get it out of the way. But Mairead reckons these days there are so many other distractions that children simply don't want to commit. They don't want to commit to just switching off from all of the other distractions and sitting down and doing their homework. And here's a great WhatsApp in from a listener to say, uh, Patricia, on your topic about homework, my son, a few years ago when he was in primary school, made up a petition calling for no homework. He went around locally, knocked on doors and explained his case. He got over 600 signatures to his petition. He even got a few TDs names at the time as they were calling to the door looking for votes. We must have been coming up, must have been at the last election. He sent it off to the Department of Education and their reply was that it's down to each individual school teacher, each individual principal to decide if homework can be given or not. That unfortunately it's not down to the Department of Education. Now the principal at the time wasn't impressed with what my son was uh, doing and was having nothing 
to do with his little petition. He also got a few bad remarks when he was calling door to door with some saying he was completely wrong to be instigating this petition. But most other people agreed and he got over 600 names. He was also, by the way, complained twice to the school principal. But that didn't deter him. He kept on with his uh, petition. But because he wasn't using any school letterhead or name, he was doing it in his own right, so the school really couldn't do anything about it. Uh, he, his argument at the time was that they were doing enough work during the school day and they were doing it all day once they arrived into school. At home time, school should be used for family time and not for arguing over homework. A lot of children have to do their homework themselves as it's not easy for parents to sit down and spend the time with their child for hours every night after a day's work. Even though nothing really came out of the petition, only awareness, I was proud of my son for taking the initiative to do it and rightly so he should be uh, proud of him. I'd be interested to see where he ends up in life. Will he end up in a political field or what will he end up uh, doing? Be, uh, keep us informed on what he decides to do uh, career-wise. But great initiative from a young lad in primary school and going door to door and having the confidence uh, to even do, do that. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Michelle is in Mitchellstown. She says, my child would receive, it's about 30 minutes of homework a night. But the problem is, uh, Patricia, it can take an hour. As you said, it's mainly to do with the way maths or some of the other subjects are taught now. A lot different to when Michelle was in school. Michelle says, I've got to figure out what a question means or what the formula is to work out a maths equation. Then outside of all of that, we have distractions. Distractions play a huge part. I can be in the middle of doing the homework and the phone will ring. It'll be my partner checking to see if we needed a child collected from school or dropped somewhere. So I, while I feel homework is important and we're lucky with the level and that we don't get a huge amount of homework into the household, distraction these days is making that 30 minute homework session uh, end up as a, a total of an hour or more. My so, my friend whose son goes to another school gets a massive amount of homework. She talks about it taking up most of their evening, which I feel is very unfair, especially in today's world when you can have some household where both parents uh, are at work and therefore time in the evening is a limited. And that's very much coming through from so many of our calls it varies from not even from school to school with, within a school. It varies from teacher to teacher. And then I know I spoke that we've discussed this topic before in the past. And I remember a teacher commenting that she had uh, she was in a, in a school. She was teaching third class at the time. And she said a group of parents got together and came to her and she they said they wanted to discuss homework and she thought, oh my goodness, am I giving too much homework out? And she felt that she was and she was really limiting it to the 30 minutes. And this group of six parents came to her. They felt that their sons and daughters in the classroom weren't getting enough homework and they wanted her to give more homework. So I suppose damned if you do and damned if you don't. And then Bridie says, Patricia, with regards to children wanting to opt out of homework, this makes me so angry. The mother who contacted you is a disgrace. At the best of times, teachers are off and out of work for a number of reasons, whether COVID or pay strikes or whatever. Now what happens with the children then with regards to any kind of study? Most of the learning for children is done with their home studies. Well, that's what I recall. To suggest that this woman submits to the demands of her child 
to exclude homework is ridiculous and this subject should not even be aired. I honestly feel you, that's me, should be ashamed of yourself for bringing this up on the radio. Homework and home study are more important than school attendance. That is why parents choose to, some parents choose to educate their children from home. And that's from Bridie who reckons, ah Bridie, everyone's entitled and you're entitled to your opinion. But so is everybody else and so is Pamela wondering how other parents are struggling with homework. I mean, that's what the radio is here for. It's to air everybody's views. But thank you for your views on the topic. 0818103103. Just staying on schools, but moving away from homework. This is from Martin, who says, Trish, I'm at a loss to figure out, do the schools teach in the classrooms anymore? Because what I can see in my hometown is that every day there seems to be school children and secondary school pupils wandering around the town and it's during school times. They seem to have no respect at all for older people because they will not move out of the way. And if you ask them to move, they'll laugh and won't move on. Are they are they supervised at all? My daughter had to walk on a busy street with her two-year-old child because she couldn't walk on the footpath because a group of teenage school children were in the way and refused to move. It's a good job I wasn't there because they'd have moved out of the way for me, says Martin. And it's girls as well as boys shouting and roaring around the town. Rubbish left on the streets after them. They're a disgrace. I, I, what I take is happening if you're saying it's during the school day. It's lunch break. It's the And it's usually the older... I, I, again, I don't know if this is very from school to school. Some of the secondary schools don't allow, say, the first years and the second years out during break time, during lunchtime break. But others, but certainly the senior cycle ones are allowed. And when they all, they gather in big numbers then because it's everybody leaving the school at the same time and they'll head down maybe to a local deli or to a local super, supermarket to buy uh, some lunch. So you can get groups uh, congregated and I actually pass uh, a school I have a school quite close to where I live and, and I have to say I, I find the opposite I find if I'm walking along they will move out of the way I suppose it it depends on the group of teenagers you come across but but I'm always I, I always get saddened when I get a text in like that because it's like tarring every single teenager with the same brush every single teenager refuses to move off the footpath of course you're going to get some that will refuse you're going to get the obnoxious little ones that are there but you're also going to get good decent kind teenagers and there's many of them there as well who will be only too happy to move off the footpath to leave your pass if you've got a buggy or, or whatever or you're an older person 0818103103 and I also want to get to another one that came uh, in um, oh, this is Colin Butterman said, I never did homework. My father was a farm labourer. A lot of the boys in our school were out doing farm work and it was allowed at the time. This was hard work, bringing in the hay, uh, etc. And it was done for all the local farmers. I got well in, I got on well in life and I did it without ever doing a day's worth of homework. You can get on without doing homework. OK, I just want to, there was one other text that I want to get to. There isn't a name on this. This is a WhatsApp to say hi Patricia I'm just wondering as as I'm spotting a lot on social media sites particularly on Facebook uh, local charity groups who are looking for free fuel for the elderly and asking people to please be generous and donate as a particular group wants to hand out free fuel to the elderly well to my knowledge all the elderly people got 
the fuel allowance and they got bonus fuel allowance this year. A lot of them are getting blocks etc for free but they don't even light a fire so I'm wondering where that is going. When the elderly used to get the free electricity units in the past many of them failed to use it and there was always carried over. They were so frugal in their use. We are losing the run of ourselves. They, the elderly people are getting €800 between now and the end of March and that's between government subsidies and government um, allowances and I think they're getting too much. Okay, firstly, not all elderly people get fuel allowance. That's kind of one of those myths. Everybody assumed that uh, when somebody picked up an old age pension, they're also going to get the uh, fuel allowance. Now, it is slightly changing that from the 1st of January, more older people will be entitled to the fuel allowance, but not everybody gets the uh, fuel allowance. So just be careful when you're saying that they're all getting uh, 800 euro uh, because they're not. There are many elderly people, you're right, who are very frugal and will be very careful in using their electricity because they're so terrified of running up uh, big bills. And they'll be the same with if they light a fire with their coal or their blocks they you know they won't overuse them they'll just use what they need uh, to use but are they entitled to it I think yes they are they're older people that worked uh, the majority of them worked very very hard they lived through very tough times in this country and they're now living on a set amount they're living on and remember a lot of our older people live just on the state pension and nothing else they don't have a pri- some will have a private pension but not all of them have a private pension and if there are local charities and local groups trying to help out uh, elderly people in their area I'm all for that and I, I'm all for supporting it 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With the new Charleville Nursing Home Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers Qualified hairstylist wanted for a full or part-time position. It's in Heavenly Hair in Glanthorne. One to two years salon experience is necessary. Please call 086-0435968. Charleville Plantar, they've got vacancies for two plant mechanics. You do need to have some previous experience. 87 Dano Supervalue in Mallow, they're recruiting full and part-time staff. They're looking for checkout operators, shop floor and deli department workers. CVs, please, to 344-mallow-hr at supervalue.ie. And general operatives wanted to join a traffic management team. It's in the North Cork area, 083-020-8471. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. As we've been reporting all morning on our news, motorists are about to be hit with the highest price rises allowed for road tolls. Transport Infrastructure Ireland say the decision has been driven by the current rate of inflation. I'm joined by Transport Correspondent uh, Connor Faulkner. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, uh, we're told that the tolls will go up in some cases by as much as 60 cent uh, a journey on some roads and then it varies from a 10 cent, 20 cent, 30 cent depending on the way you pay. Have you any understanding as to why this increase is needed now? Um, Well, I don't think there's a good reason for it, Patricia, to be honest. I guess the case for the defence, you could say, 
the toll charges have not risen in quite a few years. And of course, inflation has occurred. But notwithstanding that, I'm not convinced. Um, I, I, I don't think we need this. And just to clear an interest, Patricia, you, you and I have spoken over the years. I've never liked tolls. <laughs> They're the clumsiest instrument for raising money. They, you know, this, If you must rob money from me, please do it in a more sensible way. A cent per litre on diesel is more money than all the tolls combined. And, and yet whenever you put a toll in place, it causes collateral chaos. A great example is the M8 uh, toll in Formoy. Um, you know, that's a fabulous motorway. I use it myself regularly enough. Um, I'm an occasional user, so I stay on the motorway. But if you have to drive that stretch very regularly, there's a high chance that you'll duck off it to avoid the toll. And hence, traffic is still in the town of Formoy. And that's duplicated in Kinnegad, in Drogheda, in Portleash, various places around the country, wherever you put a toll on the bypass. So a toll on the bypass is a fundamentally bad idea in the first instance. Uh, and then obviously it gets incrementally worse when you up the price. And could it could it not come at a worse time for motorists? Well, uh, yes. I mean, look, on the grand scheme of things, Patricia, we spend far less on tolls than we do on other motoring costs. So the cost of petrol and diesel in 2022 is a massive, massive burden on us. It eclipses the tolls. But nevertheless, you know, in a, in a relatively small way, it does make a bad situation worse. And it does feel self-inflicted. Um, I, I don't see good reason for it happening now. They're saying it's, uh, and the, the, the money that's generated from the tolls is used for motorway maintenance, toll collection and operations, and for the maintenance of the wider national road network. That's what the Transport Infrastructure Ireland is saying. Yeah, it's a bit unconvincing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, for a start, don't tell me that you have to charge me a toll to cover the cost of, coal, to cover the cost of toll collection. <laughs> there's a better there's a better solution there yeah. um, uh, but you know nevertheless motorways do need to be maintained toll revenue is by no means the beginning and end of that uh, this is a an ongoing requirement for the roads fund every year roads of all sorts need to be maintained uh, and our motorways are of good quality and are in good condition it, it's a false linkage to say we have to have tolls for that. As I say, government makes more money, vastly, vastly more money in fuel taxes than it does in tolls. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, so I, I just don't see the need for this. And as I say, tolls have a direct impact in causing diversion. Up here in Dublin, the uh, M50 motorway, which is the orbital motorway around the city, has a toll bridge on it. It, it is the direct cause of additional congestion in the adjacent suburbs. It just makes no sense to do it. Uh, so as I say, they were a bad design idea in the first instance, in my opinion. So I didn't like them then. I didn't like the Fermoy bypass toll when it was first opened. Uh, and, you know, I commensurately like it slightly less uh, when the price goes up. Yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned the M50, because that obviously is the country's busiest uh, mm. motorway. I mean, it brought in €140 million Euro in tolls and fines just last year. Yeah, generates a lot of money. Yeah, but when you say you brought it, it didn't raise that money or make that money. It took that money out of people's pockets. You know, that's not like opening a factory and building something. It took money out of the pockets. And what happens then is that that money is not spent in the local chip shop. It's not spent in, in you know, buying presents for Christmas. It, it's gone with the rest of the cost of living. So, uh, you know, tolls raise revenue. Uh, okay. In theory, they do. But as I say, they're not making money here. They're taking it out of your pocket. Uh, That's not a very constructive way to, inverted commas, raise revenue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You mentioned fuel taxes. Uh, Somebody is saying, well, you've got uh, Clonaran. Does he see any sign of petrol and diesel coming down in price, particularly? Uh, Could the government lower the excise duty we pay on our fuel? Well, the answer to the second part of that question is yes. Uh, now, they've already done it once at the start of the year when the fuel crisis kicked off. Um, they, they, they knocked 15 cent a litre off diesel and 20 cent a litre off petrol. That was very welcome. We had massively high excise duties uh, and, you know, they're slightly less high now. Um, but there's still scope. The government could reduce tax on road fuel still further and that would bring down the price to the consumer. We can hope that will happen. Um, But in the meantime, on the globe, looking at global oil and energy prices, um, we've done a little better than we might have done over the last month or so, but it isn't winter yet, and I, I think those costs will get worse before they get better. Okay, and obviously there's no sign of the war on Ukraine finishing anytime soon, so that's that's just adding to it. All right, listen, Connor, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Transport uh, Consultant Connor uh, Faulkner on that. More bad news for motorists, particularly if you use tolled roads. We'll all be paying more. Somebody say, when is it coming in, Patricia? It's um, coming in from the 1st of January. 1st of January 2023. Uh, and actually, just when I mentioned there at the end of my chat with Connor, when I mentioned Ukraine, it's got the war in Ukraine. It's not that we haven't forgotten about it. 
Um, we haven't, but we, we we don't seem to talk about it as much anymore. It's almost become part of our day-to-day life now, isn't it? When you switch on the news, we're not as shocked anymore as we were at the start of this uh, war. But the Russian ambassador has now been uh, summoned by the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon Coveney, to please come to him and explain why 52 Irish politicians have been banned from entering Russia. I really scratched my head when I heard about this uh, yesterday. Uh, the Taoiseach uh, Micheál Martin, the Taunashta Leo Varadkar, the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, bless her heart, is about to go out on maternity leave. She can forget about planning a trip to Russia anytime soon. They're some of the top figures. They're placed on what Russia is calling a banned list. Uh, but when Russia were asked to give the full rundown of the names of the 52, they didn't. They, we do know that other names on the list are the Kohirlok of the Dáil, that's Sean O'Farrell, and the Finance Minister, Pascal O'Donoghue, or Pascal O'Donoghue, I always put an O into his name, he's also on the list. Now, a statement from the Russian Foreign Affairs Ministry added that a number of senators and deputies of the lower House of Parliament, so some of our backbench TDs, were also on this, what they're calling a stop list. But they won't specify which ones. Isn't that just bizarre? Simon Coveney, who obviously is in Washington at the moment, uh, he says, speaking from from Washington, he's asked that the Russian ambassador to Ireland, Yuri Filatov, he's asked him to come before him for an explanation, please. And when asked for the full list of names, a spokesperson for the Russian embassy in Dublin said, as of now, we find the statement by the Russian Foreign Affairs Ministry self-explanatory. If there are going to be any developments, we will inform you in due course. So the statement from the Russian Foreign Affairs is that there's 52 names on the list, but they're giving out a few of them, but not, they're not giving out all of them. The embassy accused Ireland of carrying out an aggressive anti-Russian propaganda campaign. And I quote, they say one of the consequences of fueling Russophobic hysteria in Irish society was the attack on the Russian embassy in Dublin in March of this year. With regards to our other measures, we will be guided by the position of Dublin. End of statement. Now, a government source speculated that Russia was not naming other politicians and that's as a scare tactic. They're trying to draw specific attention to the top officials, but they're not naming anybody else. The Department of Foreign Affairs said it's trying to find out who are the names of the 52 on the list. A spokesperson added that the department didn't get any prior notification of the Russian uh, actions. And they say that this just shows the dysfunction and the panic within the Russian government at the moment that they announced 52 Irish politicians on a banned list but they can't provide any details as to who the 52 politicians are. The Taoiseach said Ireland would make no apology for being on the right side of history, adding that he was even unaware that there was sanctions against him. He had to be told about it by Fine Gael TD, who raised the matter in the Dáil and said to Micheál Martin, do you realise you've been sanctioned and you can't travel to Russia? Leo Varadkar reiterated the Taoiseach's call for cool heads, but he declined to be drawn on expelling Yuri Filatov, the Russian ambassador, saying such a proposal would need to be considered very carefully. Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, said she stood behind everything she had said about Russia and the ongoing barbaric and illegal war that 
has uh, been forced upon the Ukrainian uh, people. Uh, But again, it just brings up the whole issue of this ambassador, this Russian ambassador, and why he hasn't been expelled. And there is a cohort of people who strongly believe he should be uh, expelled. But then there are others who um, who think differently. And I think from the government's point of view, they have this whole thing about diplomacy and just keeping lines of communication open just in case they ever needed to contact the embassy. If, God forbid, an Irish person living in Russia needed help, if we didn't have an embassy here, it's one of the reasons they've always put forward that we need to keep an embassy open uh, here. But I will await with great interest what uh, Yuri uh, Filatov, the Russian ambassador to Ireland, will say in that meeting, because no doubt... Simon Coveney will will fill us in on what he has to say. But isn't it bizarre that they say there's a banned list of 52 politicians, but by the way, we're not going to tell you who's named on the list. Crazy stuff. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We're off to Femoy Guard, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, you're welcome. Okay, you've Thanks got some me. burglaries that you're looking for help with. Yeah, and I suppose just to start with one there, um, a couple of nights ago, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday night, um, some items were stolen there from an open shed farmhouse. The best description is to say the Morley's Cross area, down the very uh, where where Killa and Ballinor Garda districts would meet. Um, you had some fodder stolen, and you also had some tools st- stolen from an open shed farmhouse. So just to let people know, you know, there's there's somebody mooching around, you know, um, and uh, particularly open sheds, uh, you, you you know, are very vulnerable if anything has been kept in them, you know. Um, uh, this next incident there was Moore Abbey, where there was an orange concrete mixer stolen overnight from a building site. That was Thursday, Friday of the of the week just gone. Uh, so um, 10 to the 11th, uh, to the 11th to the 11th, you know. Now uh, that would need transport. Transport was needed for that, yeah. yeah. No, no question, you know. Um, so we're, we're actually we're able to pin it down to around 11 o'clock actually at night, you know. Okay, so somebody might have seen, it would be unusual at 11 o'clock at night to see an orange a concrete mixer being moved at that hour of the night, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So somebody may have seen it, you know, a trailer, or or else it might have gone into a small uh, lorry or van or something like that, you know. So for people, look, anything unusual, um, look, that you might have noticed at that hour, the Gardaí at Mallow or the Gardaí at Formoy or any Garda station would be glad to take take any report that you would have. Okay. You know, and if you were on the road at that hour, um, you know, maybe, as a, again, that would be Thursday night, the 10th. That's exactly a week ago, around 11 o'clock at night, Mourne Abbey area. You know, if you were on the road and if you do have a dash cam, you know, we're checking back on the footage and if you see anything, you know, please contact us. Okay. And then some gates to a farmyard were rammed in Watergrass Hill. Was this yeah, last weekend? I would view this is kind of quite unusual you know yeah. uh, I haven't seen it really in the past and that was Saturday Sunday of the week just gone uh, that's the 12th 13th um, where the gates of the farm was rammed and knocked down overnight by some vehicle uh, there was a horse box stolen but there wasn't any horse box it was a, it was a double horse box Ivor Williams make which is the creme de la creme 
of you know of those Post items, you know. Yeah. And uh, you, you know we've had success in the past, you know, there in the last few months, you know, getting some back. But again, um, as I said, there's a demand always for those, and it's probably uh, the reason why, as I said, uh, there was knowledge that the item was in there. Okay. You know, and, and again, that was an overnight. That was Saturday into Sunday morning. So again, somebody out and about seeing a horse box being moved overnight again is unusual. Exactly, yeah. So that was between 7.30 on the Saturday night and 7.30 on the Sunday morning. And that was Tenegera Watergrass Hill. Okay. Um, so look, anybody moving around at that hour, you know, again, you're, if you had a dash cam, as I said, a white double horse box Ivor Williams make, you, you, you know, quite an unusual enough item, the double ones, I think, you know. Um, so for people to to just bear in mind, you know. Okay, a yard broken into in Middleton. Yeah, the yard was entered, but I mean it's a good news story in that there was a very good, uh, very good security system, and there was some valuable product being uh, being kept there, and uh, the the sensors around the yard activated, and there was an audible warning given by the control room to the trespassers who left empty-handed very quickly. Brilliant. You know, so I, I mean, it's really a word of advice to say those those systems, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. Um, they you, they are dear, but if you're if what you're carrying is dear, you know, they 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 justify it. You know, they they, they definitely paid for it that night anyway. You know, um, the the other incident that happened. I mean, we're coming up to Christmas, we're coming up to Good Friday, and or Black Friday, Black Friday, Black Friday yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, you'd encourage everybody to do as much of their shopping on the main street. You know, keep yeah. our, keep yeah. our main streets alive. You know, but inevitably, you know, there are some items that maybe you can't get in your local town that you're going to go online to get them, <clears throat> and um, just have a plan in place. You know, I saw one incident here uh, the other day. Um, where, where uh, there was a package left at the front door of an apartment here in Formoy and uh, somebody was seen uh, taken a few minutes after being it being delivered. You know, so please, if you are getting stuff ordered, make sure that you're uh, getting it dropped if you can to somewhere where there is somebody or that you make arrangements to have it collected somewhere afterwards. Yeah, and in you know, I and I take it in all cases. This is opportunistic. Somebody passes, sees the package at the door, and thinks, "Oh, I'll have that." goes in, picks it up and it's gone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And to them it's a lucky dip. They have no idea what's in it, you know. Yeah. Um, and do you wonder, do courier companies need to start doing something about this? You know? uh, uh, well, well, to be honest, I suppose some of them are very good. And uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the time you know your local driver and uh, yeah. the local drivers at this stage know the street and uh, they'll know exactly who to drop it to. If, if Johnny or Mary isn't there, they'll drop it to someone. To a neighbour, yeah. I mean, I've exactly, often, you know? I've often over the years taken in packages uh, from my neighbours and likewise they, they've done it for me I have a tendency now to get any packages that, that I need delivered here to work because I know there's always going to be somebody somebody here but you, we just have to be aware of it that, that, that yeah, unfortunately there's unscrupulous people out there Exactly and the main thing is to be operating a buddy buddy system you know and just don't think the fact that you have a nice uh, little patio, you know, and you, know, you leave the patio unlocked, you know. But we did see in the past, uh, particularly coming up to Christmas, uh, a number of incidents. I remember there was one in Yall was the last year or the year before, but we've had a number of other ones as well where it seemed to be that there was almost a car falling the delivery drivers mm. and and if they saw maybe uh, it'd be 
being left inside a patio door or whatever, you know, it got a call afterwards, you know. Yeah, so you just have to be so careful. So, yeah. so careful. But as you say, you can stop all of that by shopping locally. <laughs> and you'll be, you'll be bringing your own goods home. All right. And, and keep the circular economy going locally as well. Yeah, well. yeah. And the, uh, the the town's starting to get busy? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, great to see, uh, it's great to see that happening, you know. And, uh, we, you know, it's very important to keep the town centres uh, going. Yeah, there's a buzz. There's a buzz around. Absolutely, and there's a great buzz. And it's, I suppose it's the first year, you know, that there has been a buzz. You know, we're right. been through a couple of hard years. You know, that's true. That's true. Okay, listen, John. Pleasure as always. Thank, thank you for that. Thank you very much. Patricia. And uh, thank thanks uh, for joining us. That is Sergeant uh, John Kelly, based out of Fomoy uh, Garda Station. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. A reminder, please, that it is Thursday, so that means uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in the next hour of the programme. So if you have a pet question for Jane, you can get it in either by calling John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me because they come straight in to be here in studio 0862103103. And it's hard to believe it's already Thursday. And Pat actually sent in a text that made me smile. It says, morning, Patricia. Uh, you're having a great show. Thank you for that. But is there any chance you could slow it down a bit? We're at the weekend again please take it easy we're running away with ourselves (laughs) if there's anything I could do to slow down the week Pat for you I would but it struck me as well when I came into work this morning and I was thinking God it's Thursday already it's tomorrow the start of the weekend Uh, again the weeks are flying by I don't know whether it's something that happens more at this time of year does the time seem to go quicker in the winter months than in the summer months I don't know uh, but just year on year the, the, the weeks into the months into the years just seem to be flying by but unfortunately I can't stop time for you Pat there's a lot of things I can help you with but stopping time is not one of them but thank you for your text You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Thank you to Mary who sent me in some photographs on uh, WhatsApp uh, with a note saying this rubbish been dumped near Lis Ballyhay in Charleville absolutely shocking says uh, Mary and to me it looks like the content somebody's having a clear out of a house it's a fine uh, in its day even though it still looks in good nick it's a big armchair a leather red leather armchair you know one of the big wide armed leather chairs now I can't see it looks like the cushion is missing but maybe the cushion's behind it and what looks beside it to be a, a locker, a white locker of some description, but it's definitely there's some plastic containers at the back as well. It's definitely somebody uh, removing the contents of, of a house anyway, for sure. But, you know, frustrating that you couldn't walk down the road to this Ballyhay in Charleville and just leave the chair there because it's a great big chair. I'm assuming you might have actually needed a two-person lift, you may have needed somebody else, but you certainly would have needed some kind of a van or some kind of a trailer to have moved that from wherever it was its original place and then dump it there. And you're just thinking, we have civic community sites dotted all over the city and county. If you're going to go to the effort of getting a trailer or a van to move items like that, could you not just go go the whole way to your local civic community site, find out the times it's opened and dispose of it properly? It's just, it's shocking. It's I agree with uh, Mary uh, when she says uh, shocking because it's just, you'd be lost for words, wouldn't you? And wonder what kind of mentality what goes through the minds of people who think that kind of dumping is okay uh, to do um, Mary I'd suggest if you get on to the local council in Charleville make them aware of it because you know ultimately it's taxpayers money somebody from the council will end up having to go out and uh, clean that up shocking 
0818103103. Still getting in thoughts to do with schools and and homework and children doing homework and should parents be allowed to opt out of homework and should the children be allowed to tell the parents, to tell the teachers that they want to opt out of homework because I think a lot of the times it's the children don't want to do the homework. Now I accept it can be a stress level for the parents as well. Somebody says, uh, tell the parent read the homework that you're putting them on the, you're putting them on the right track by doing homework. Do you honestly think that that's good for any child to agree to the child's demands to opt out of homework? I've never heard the likes of it before. Parents want teachers to molly colly their children now and they'll have a big face on them then if their sons or daughters don't get the marks that they uh, thought that they would get. Think about teachers. They can only do so much. It's not their children at the end of the day. You've produced them. You need to spend the time with them and help them with their homework. And on children being disrespectful on the street this texter also says the children being disrespected on the the street that goes all back to the training they got at home I've witnessed several parents walking down a street and if they meet someone they just stop dead in their tracks plonk they won't have any respect for anybody walking behind them somebody perhaps wheeling a buggy with a child in it and they block up the whole footpath disrespect starts at home says this texter and then a really great email in uh, saying from Sheila saying hi Patricia listening about homework this morning reminded me of our dad he was a great believer in children having a childhood and he says you're grown up long enough and when your day's work is done I don't bring work home with me he absolutely hated homework and never stopped us doing it but he always said it's your choice so naturally, we didn't always do the homework. When the teachers would ask why we hadn't our homework done, we would say, oh, well, our dad doesn't believe in it. And that seemed to be accepted. Now, I'm talking about this was back in the late 60s and into the 70s. I left school at aged 15, as did all my brothers and sisters. We never passed an exam in our lives simply because we never had to take a state exam. But all of us were in full-time work from the day we left school at 15 right up to our 65th birthday. We were never in trouble with the police, never took drugs. We didn't even smoke. We only drank, but that was on rare occasions. Not one of us suffered from depression and were always in good form. I was the only one of us who didn't marry, but all the others did, all marriages that lasted well over 50 years. When you hear of all the exam stress and the homework pressure children are under these days, I thank God that we had the dad that we had. Nobody ever died from not doing homework. Bye for now, says uh, Sheila. Well done and good to know that you're, you got on well in life and that it isn't all about exams. And God knows we try and get that message out, particularly to the Leaving Cert students when they're freshing about the exam results. But I suppose we live in a very different era to the era that you are uh, talking about. But, uh, you know, he's, your dad was right, you know, when, when he says you're grown up long enough. And when I mentioned earlier that one of our listeners, Pat, was saying the week is flying by and could I slow it down? I was saying I can't stop time. Jill made the point that as we get older, uh, time seems to go faster. And, and it does. And I was only last weekend I met up with my probably my longest friend she uh, we've been friendly since we were teenagers and she would be one of my best friends and we met up because it was her birthday last uh, weekend and you know we were talking about that about where do the years go and 
how quick the years fly. And I think having a number of weeks ago, lost one of my dear friends who was also one of my teenage uh, friends, my, my lovely friend Maria, who died in the States. It just got us talking about, you know, you know, life doesn't go on forever, but the years just fly by. It's just they go in the blink of an eye. I think sort of up to the age of 21, the years are a little bit slower. Certainly when, we, when you were children and you had a birthday, it seemed like an eternity until it was time for your next birthday. But then I think I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think once you hit 21, the years just fly by. So we all we all just have to try and make it the most of it. 0818103103. A reminder that we are giving shout outs again this year for 2023 calendars if you're involved with the local charity local organisation community group and if you've put a calendar together as a fundraiser for your organisation or for your area or for your charity get one of the calendars in so that I can give a shout out give a little bit of a talk about it let people know that your calendars are on sale and of course as always uh, when you're out buying calendars this year to please try and buy one of the calendars that's in aid of a local charity or one of your favourite uh, charities so that the, the money is going to a good cause well a gorgeous calendar arrived in the post this morning uh, to me and it's for it's from the group Dogs for the Disabled and actually when I was flicking through the gorgeous pictures of the dogs this actually was this is the calendar from this year from 2020 that I used in my home this uh, year haven't decided yet what calendar I'm going to go with though for 2023 but this one will be high up there it really is gorgeous Dogs for the Disabled they're accredited by Assistance Dogs International they're the only charity of their kind in Europe and they've been providing dogs to children and adults with physical disabilities and they've been going now since 2007 80% of their clients are children and it's usually children living with severe physical disabilities which then impact their independence and their social interaction and there's a partnership with one of their highly trained assistant dogs is absolutely life uh, changing and they say we are driven by our wish for a better world a world where our partners are not limited by their disability but are active members of society and year on year with continued help and support from the general public they grow and continue to create more powerful partnerships opening more doors to change lives they're, they're just they are a wonderful wonderful organisation and you can find out more about Dogs for the Disabled on their website dogsforthedisabled.ie and if you go on to their website dogsforthedisabled.ie you'll be able to purchase their calendar and I'm telling you it is a calendar that will make you smile and actually in ja- on January the word smile is beside this beautiful uh, dog that uh, they they that they use for January and then you go through it month by month like February says there's always a reason to laugh March has a do- has a puppy dog fast asleep nap play eat uh, repeat and then on April for example it's a dog a wet dog nothing is friendlier than a wet dog and it's a dog who has been in the sea I imagine it's com- coming out you know when the dogs when they shake themselves off and we're all running away because you're going to get absolutely drowned beautiful and again I, what I always love about all the calendars that come into us from all of the different charities and organisations they're always of such high quality which is fantastic so I'm assuming they're all uh, printed locally or, or printed here uh, certainly all printed here in majority printed here in uh, Ireland so that's the Dogs for Disabled calendar you might remember them this year dogs for disabled e and it's like when you go out to buy your Christmas cards try where possible please to buy charity Christmas cards along with your charity calendars and we speak of a Christmas I hear you cry well the Queen of Christmas who's the Queen of Christmas Mariah Carey and all she wanted for this Christmas 
was that trademark so that she could ring fence the title and be forever known as the Queen of Christmas. But she's been denied by US bureaucrats after she, Mariah Carey, Queen of Christmas, was described as bullying. Now, the singer who, you know, Mariah Carey's music, it is synonymous with the festive uh, season. And she's long been known as the Queen of Christmas because every year, kind of along with the, the King of Christmas to me would be Michael Bublé. They're kind of the two CDs that get rolled out every year. And they're the ones that we listen to and the songs that we hear year on year. So she decided to make that. Why she decided to do it, I don't know. But she tried, she tried to trademark the title of Queen of uh, Christmas. Now, there would have been obviously legal people advising her and money people advising her because she could have made a lot of money if she held the trademark of Queen of Christmas. So she lodged it with the US Patent and Trademarked Office but a complaint was lodged by another singer and that stopped Mariah dead in her tracks. Her song, All I Want for Christmas Is You, is it one of my favourite Christmas songs? Yes, it is. It always makes me feel festive. It has been top of every Christmas season since it was originally released 28 years ago. And they reckon in royalties alone from that song, it has taken in 72 million euros. So it's made her a very, very wealthy uh, woman. And last year alone, it was streamed one billion times on Spotify uh, alone. And it actually comes from an album, a 1994 album called Merry Christmas, where it has covers of lots of other like well-known so- like uh, well-known songs. But what happened was, Mariah Carey's company applied last year. She wanted, it, she was going for three trademarks. Uh, she was looking for Queen of Christmas, Princess Christmas, but she also wanted QOC, Queen of Christmas. But then a a 42-year-old singer from New York, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Chan, she says that it was a classic case of trademark bullying and she thought it was a significant overreach. Now, the reason that this woman, Elizabeth Chan, had such uh, an interest in it, she is also in... I'm assuming in New York or maybe in various parts of the States. She's also been dubbed Queen of Christmas and she got the title Queen of Christmas in the New Yorker magazine and she got it back in 2018. And the reason for it was they were recognising the fact that she has released an original festive song every year and up to 2018 she'd been doing it for the previous decade so that was her 10th year so they decided the New Yorker magazine decided to call her the Queen of Christmas for that record that she had set and she said I feel very proud I said I feel very strongly that no other person should hold on to anything around Christmas or the word Christmas or monopolise it in a way that Mariah Carey was trying to trying to do into perpetuity She said, that's just not the right thing to do. Christmas is for everyone. It's meant to be shared. It is not meant to be owned by any one individual. And this is what happened then. The outcome of it was that Mariah Carey's company did not respond to Elizabeth Kahn's opposition in time. So because of that, Mariah Carey's trademark was not granted. Now, maybe they decided not to when they saw what this woman was talking about and were accusing her of bullying. Maybe they deliberately decided uh, not to uh, formally 
uh, put in a case uh, as to why they felt they were right or maybe they just didn't respond in time and if they just didn't respond in time it's very possible that Mariah Carey she certainly has the money to do it will go back again and try again uh, next year to ring fence the title and to hold the trademark of Queen of Christmas The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie Now stars of the TV show Let the Show Begin that's Pat Hayes, Peter Burke Mary Prendergast and Glenn Flynn will play in the Glen Theatre in Bantier tonight at 8 o'clock if you'd like to book tickets you can 029 56239 Anam Cara are making additions to their support services for bereaved parents and they're offering a 30 minute webinar now it's free of charge it'll happen every Thursday evening for the month of November if you'd like more information you can call them on 085 2888888 Second Confession a comedy in three acts by Paddy Heffernan has been performed by Kildallery Drama Group it opened last night and it's on every night until next Sunday at the Store Creamery Yard in Kildallery tickets are 10 euro for adults and 5 for children and Balti Daniel National School Parents Association they've got a quiz night it's tonight in Albert Lynch's bar in Mallow it starts at 8.30 they're looking for teams of 4 please 40 euro to enter Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie somebody says Patricia what price is the calendar my apologies Jeez, I should have I should have given out the price of the calendar for the dogs for the disabled so I just quickly went online for dogs for the disabled.ie and they're 10 the 2023 calendar is 10 uh, euro they also have Christmas cards uh, as well so dogs for the disabled.ie and the calendars are priced at 10 uh, euro and hi Patricia um, on behalf of McCroom Flower and Garden Club uh, could you please extend a sincere thank you to all those who attended our gala charity floral demonstration supporting the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and McCroom Senior Citizens. It was on this day last week and we mentioned it here on the programme on the Community Diary and a big thank you to Bernie and all the staff at Cool Car uh, thanks for hosting the event and that's from Nora Gallagher who is the Secretary of the McCroom Flower and Garden Club. So well done to everybody who went along. It sounds like you had a wonderful night and two very worthwhile charities will benefit from it. Can you keep your pet questions coming into us please because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in a couple of minutes. John Paul's taking your questions at 0818103103 and you can always text our WhatsApp questions to 0862103103. Now earlier on the programme I was speaking with Kevin uh, Hurley. He's with the uh, Cork Business Association but he also runs a a number of uh, supermarkets across the city and he's got some in North Cork and I was really surprised when I discovered yesterday that he was he's been renting properties and he's even bought a house uh, and 10% of his he employs 300 people but 10% of his employees 30 of them needed housing now there are people he had to go overseas because he couldn't get uh, workers uh, to work in his shops uh, so these workers were more than willing to come to Ireland with love 
to spend spend a period of time in Ireland and in beautiful Cork working but there was no place for them to live and he realised he had a problem I can get these workers overseas workers that I can't get here in this country and yet they need a place to live so he ended up having to rent properties and actually buy a property and that led to us then just discussing you know Cork City as a city is thriving and there's lots of new developments coming on stream but what's the point of having developments and businesses coming into the area and that will lead to new workers coming into the area if there's no place for them to live and he was just talking about how we need more development particularly in the city and in the city suburbs so I read it's back in the papers again Besber and what can be done with the Besber site and uh, planning permission now has been sought it'll be a 40 million euro residential development now it's near the site of the mother and baby home in Besber they request to develop Besber which was lodged yesterday by a company called MVB2 Limited. Now, that follows what has been a protracted application process for an eight-storey building. There'll be 67 uh, apartments, and that began, that's at least two years ago, they put in that initial application uh, process. And, of course, the original application was ultimately rejected. There was multiple objections particularly from mother and baby home survivors, mother and baby home uh, campaigners, and there also was a planning hearing, so it was turned down. Several objectors had argued that the site should become a flower meadow. The idea behind that would be you'd have this wonderful flower meadow and it would remain forever as a memorial to the children who died at Besber, which, remember, at one time, Besber here in Cork had the highest child mortality rate of any of the other Irish institutions and mother and baby homes. Besber became notorious for cruelty, for neglect of mothers and for their little children. Now, campaigners have always claimed that part of the site was next to a child burial area. Now, that's always been disputed by the developers, but therein lies the problem. Nobody knows for sure where all of the little babies that died in Besber, where they're all buried. So it's very possible, even though the developers are convinced that, no, that's where the children are buried. Nobody knows on the site where developments will go. Could it be a burial site? So the company now have decided to lodge a new application. This time they've changed the app, the original app, because the original application was for 67 apartments. They're going bigger. They are, they've put in for a 92-unit complex. The developers say it would involve two stepped buildings they'll be they'll vary in height they'll go from five stories to eight stories now what will it comprise of there will be 43 one bedroomed units and they are desperately needed in the city there'll be 32 two bedroomed units and then there'll be 18 with uh, three beds there's also obviously going to be a large childcare facility because the idea is that many young families will move into a development like that and they'll need childcare facilities the developers say the project was designed with the focus on social and affordable housing and, and needs and they want to exploit the potential of the recently developed Black Rock Greenway so in a statement the company said that the project project offered enormous potential for Cork and for its housing needs this proposed and, and, and there's nobody there's nobody will disagree with that we need housing developments they say the proposed development will provide affordable housing solutions for people living and working close to Cork City with, where there is direct urgent need for as the local population continues to grow rapidly and that was reflected in Kevin Hurley's interview earlier this morning but last year the Cork Survivors and Supporters Alliance they, Alliance, they said its members were not opposed 
to all residential developments, but they were against any building project that would disturb or could disturb children's burial grounds. The Besbrun Mother and Baby Home have not only, they didn't only have a high infant mortality rate in the 30s, the 40s and the 50s, but it was also the focus of the very controversial Irish vaccine trials and of course there was also allegations of arranged adoptions and forced adoptions to the the US and we know that more than 900 babies died at Besber when Besber opened to when it closed there was records that not over 900 babies died either died having directly been born in Besber or they were in Cork hospitals and then ended up in um, were ended up being uh, based or they were born in Besber and then ended up in a Cork hospital and they were transferred uh, from the home uh, over the course of the second of the, the seven decades that was opened so not more than 900 babies died but there's only records of where 70 of them are buried. So there is a burial site, so they know where 70 are buried. So where are the other 830? And that's always the fear of the survivors and those that campaign on behalf of the mother and baby homes, that building work would go on and the enormous development would start and they could end up starting to dig the ground and it would be the coffins or the remains of uh, little babies would be, would be found. So, you know, and how, how we... How we work out where those 900 babies are born, I don't know. I mean, we still have what's going on in Tume and that site. We still haven't got to the bottom of what happened in the mother and baby home in Tume and we'll be talking about that for countless numbers of uh, years. So it's it's a kind of a mixed, people will look at the story with mixed views. People will say, yes, absolutely, bring it on. 400 million or a 40 million euro housing project for the city, so badly needed. But then on the other side, you can understand why there would be objections from the survivors and the campaigners of the mother and baby homes. 0818 103 103. Our lines remain open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joining us. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And a number of questions in. Let's get straight in with this one from Anne in Bandon. And this could become a problem for a number of people, I suppose, with the cost of living and people trying to watch how they're spending money. Question, please, for Jane about a pet cat. How essential is it to continue booster vaccines every year? Now, anti-flea and worming are done every three months and in between I can administer those from home but it's just that the vets visits and the boosters can be costly would it be better if and would it be okay or would it be better not to miss a year that's from Anne in Bandon okay so I suppose I completely empathize with the the rising cost of living and really trying to just make sure that what we're doing is essential because you know it's very difficult at the moment so we completely understand as vets and vet practices we're we're all we're all experiencing it too so don't worry about that um, I think really in a perfect world, it would be ideal if you didn't miss your annual booster. So some components of the feline cat vaccine um, are due every year. Others, depending on your risk, may not be required every year. But I would normally say, let's say we live in a rural area here. So um, I, I would normally advise that most components be given uh, every year in the patients that we see around here because there's lots of stray cats and they tend to go outside. And we also live in a rural area. 
But that said, every situation is different. So maybe it might be worth having a discussion with your vet about your own cat's lifestyle if they're largely home based rather than going outside in the garden and having access to other cats and things may be a little bit different. So it's worth having that conversation with your vet. However, what I would say is missing out on their annual health check is really not something I would advise. And that's generally done at the same time as their annual vaccination, so their annual booster, because annual health checks are really essential. If it was you or I and we were feeling a little bit ill or had some subtle symptoms, we'd be able to recognise that and know we needed to go to the doctor. Whereas for cats and dogs, they're really subtle creatures. Historically, they had to, when they were out in the wild hundreds of years ago, they had to be seen to be really strong and not weak because that would mean that they would be prey. So they're really, really good at being very stoic and hiding any symptoms that they may have if they're subtle. So having a full physical exam with your vet at least once a year, and I would normally advise in older patients twice a year to pick up on subtle signs that we'd see on physical exam and then more of an exploration of talking about how their habits are changing at home is really, really essential to keep on top of their health long term. So although I would say, yes, the, the booster is essential, but, you know, depending on your cat's lifestyle, there may be changes you could discuss with your vet. But really, the big thing I would say, you, you can't miss their annual health checks. So yeah, well and that's why that. with if and there seems to be so many feral cats and some areas are overrun with uh, feral cats. They carry a lot of disease, don't they? They do, unfortunately. So the unvaccinated cat population really, uh, you know, obviously the, as a country and as many countries do, we have we have a problem with that. Um, and unfortunately, because they don't have loving owners to take care of them, they are in a situation where the vast majority of them have never had a vaccination. So a lot of them are wandering around with viral and bacterial causes of cat flu, and that's quite easily spread. And other diseases, for example, the feline leukemia virus is something we can vaccinate against. And that's something that, you know, is, is out there in the cat population of unvaccinated cats so i'd say you know if your cat has any access to the outdoors and you and you might think that he might just go into the garden and have a little pot around and then go back into the house and let's say for some older cats that might be the case but we know that in younger cats their roaming territory area is actually really quite large so the likelihood of them meeting other cats possibly unvaccinated and carrying disease is actually really quite yeah, high yeah. um it, okay. in an urban and rural area okay good advice okay hi uh, patricia could you please ask jane how can i stop a foster doggy from getting up on chairs to pee he is neutered by the way thanking you okay so a new a new dog to the household oh wow getting up on chairs to pee is quite the problem (laughs) nobody wants that in their house okay so it's probably just that he's really unsettled and quite nervous in that environment so i'm sure you're doing a great thing taking on a foster dog it's a really beautiful thing to do but a lot of the pets that will come through the foster system you know obviously they may have a history that we're unaware of in some situations um they may not be used to let's say a standard home environment in some cases so it may take a little bit of adjustment but i understand we don't want them peeing all over the furniture the first thing I'd say is make sure he has ample opportunity to do his peas outside as best you can. Take him out super, super often so there's nothing left in that bladder for him to be tempted to put it on the sofa. Um, I would say, if at all possible, discourage him from going onto the sofa for the moment. Um, that's just because if that the behaviour of kind of peeing himself happens most on the sofa, you know, if you can avoid him being on the sofa, that would be really helpful. Make sure he doesn't have access to the room where he's doing it, unless he's accompanied by yourself. You don't want him going in there and doing some sneaky pees. Um, I I would wonder one thing is is he doing a bit of a nervous wee when he gets onto the sofa. So if he's not used to having, let's say, lots of fuss and attention um, and that would happen, let's say, if he's cuddling on the sofa with the family, 
Um, he might just be doing a little bit of a nervous week so he doesn't really quite know how to deal with the situation. So what I'd suggest is for the meantime, I'd maybe keep him off the sofa, get him really used to the situation before you let him onto the sofa again and make sure he's emptied his bladder outside. But I think it may just be time and adjustment if there is any way of safely washing your sofa without destroying it, which is always a challenge to get the smell of ammonia and kind of residual pee smell that the dog might have have noticed and marked then that would be really brilliant um when a dog pees somewhere they can smell it even if we can't and they have kind of marked that as an area that's their toilet so it may be a little bit challenging so if there's any way you can get the smell or residue off it and safely wash it without wrecking the sofa i really try and do that yeah. as well and the fact that it's help. a foster dog you just don't know the background and what, what it's been through yeah. okay and there seems to be a problem with uh, dogs peeing today because i've got two questions I think I can tie them both in together Mary uh, says please help we have an 11 year old Yorkshire Terrier always great with doing his toilet business and doing it outside but for the last three months he started peeing indoors and then another listener has an elderly diabetic dog who has all of a sudden become very incontinent he is an indoor dog fully house trained I let him out regularly to go to the loo but he'll come back in a few minutes later pool of wee on the floor I'm wondering are dog nappies a success will they keep them on even if just for a few hours in the evening as I get into the stage I'm going to have to put them out of the house at night it's getting so bad okay so two oh, older okay. dogs is this is this two common older in dogs. older dogs it is quite common in older dogs but what I will say is although it's a quite a common symptom in older dogs so wetting in the house or more peeing frequently than usual there are a multitude of causes that can cause them. It would all require different management and treatment. So I suppose, first of all, our little diabetic dog, um, if he started peeing more just recently, I would just double check with your vet um, whether he needs a checkup for his diabetes again. So diabetes is normally treated with an insulin treatment. So an insulin injection either once or twice daily, depending on your dog's stability. And usually the aim of the game is to control their diabetes so that their urination becomes normal again. One of the key symptoms we see with diabetes is an increase in urination. So there's a lot more wee than usual. And normally when the treatment is successful, that settles down again. Now, what I will say is that it could have been that everything was perfectly hunky-dory until three months ago as regards his treatment, but things have changed. And that's really quite common. Diabetes does tend to change over time. Usually when we have one dose, we'll need to adjust it several times during that pet's life, depending on their stability of their blood sugars. Um, so I, I would say in that situation where there has been an abrupt change and there is a medical background of diabetes, I would check with your vet. You may need to run some basic tests to assess how well your dog's diabetic stability is going um, and just to check his urine as well because a lot of the time dogs with diabetes because they can have, sometimes have extra sugar in the urine that shouldn't be there is really, really common that they get urinary tract infections, so, so water infections, um, and that needs treatment and that may help things to settle down. So there may be an underlying medical reason for it in, in the diabetic dog. So I'd say definitely worth seeing your vet to see if, if, if they can rule those simple things out for you as regards the older yorkshire terrier i believe yeah that has just started started weighing inside for no apparent reason i would say similar to our diabetic dog you want you want to make sure that there's no underlying reason medically for it and that it's not just behavioral change so really common things in older dogs are changes in their kidneys Sometimes they can have, I suppose in, in female dogs, sometimes their, their bladder can just become a little bit weaker. That doesn't tend to be the case in males. Um, but sometimes it can be something as simple as an infection. Sometimes it can be something more deeper, like a problem with the kidneys that needs managing. Sometimes if all of those things have been ruled out by your vet, it can be behavioral change. So as we age a little bit, 
Um, and in dogs, sometimes they can get cognitive dysfunction. So their change in their usual routine and habits can happen. And sometimes that, that manifests as a dog kind of untoilet training themselves and weeing inside. But one other thing I just keep in mind is have a little think about your dog's mobility. Are they really comfortable walking around and moving around and as they would have been when they were a little bit younger? Or are they a little bit stiffer, stiffer and creakier than they were? A really common thing I see sometimes where uh, an older dog is now peeing in the house and we've ruled out all of the other underlying causes for, for, for weeing inside being a medical issue is a lack of mobility. And as we move into the winter months, we know that dogs with arthritis, they suffer a, a little bit more through the winter, same as humans do sometimes. So it could be that if your dog has some underlying arthritis or joint issues, a bit of stiffness, it might be that they might want to go outside, but they're a bit painful and they might be getting caught short inside. So there's a number of different possibilities, but I'd really, I'd really say in a situation, we need to make sure that there's nothing medical going on that we can help that little dog with first. That needs to be um, checked before, out. Before we put it down to behaviour. Okay, okay, we'll leave it there, Jane. Have a good week and we'll chat again next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you very much. That's Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And before we go, just one quick uh, comment in from uh, Gary. He's on about the increase in the rates for business people in the city that was announced this week. He thinks that is outrageous as it's now becoming a major cost to simply run a business. And then he says, when I see money being what he, now this is Gary's words, wasted in increasing the size of footpaths and destroying original footpaths that were only installed in the last number of years then putting in bicycle lanes in incorrect places some of these bicycle lanes go nowhere just a few yards up the road no benefit to anyone it's actually making things more dangerous on our roads and then to hear that to- tolls are going up today he's got staff there to pay for tolls every single week and it is just uh, crazy he is not happy at all okay that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow 10 C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.